We're rolling. We're rolling. Awesome. What's Welcome, up, Zeke? What up? Nicholson. This How's is the podcast. Thank you. This is kind of a me. surprise, by the way, because I didn't. I was like, who do you have? On, who's the guest today? And she's like, Zeke. And I was like, who's that? And she's like, oh, he's the dude from Cardinal Redbird. That's me. I'm the dude from Cardinal Redbird. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah. How's your day going? It's going good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Happy to be here. I don't know. <laughs> Happy summer. What's it's very on? hot outside. Yes, Very hot outside. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, of course. Was it... Uh, do you often do podcasts with people that you don't really know? Um, like, not that often, but okay, yeah, every yeah. now and again I'll be like, oh, I don't know, what is this? Sure, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I was uh, the interviewer. I do remember that, yes. Okay, yeah, and yeah. kind of, I was like, yeah, you're going to be on it, and you were like, what? Yeah, well, I hadn't like... About? It took me a second to realize that you were that person that I had been emailing with uh, mm-hmm. in that moment. But, um, yeah, I don't Sorry know. Sorry for springing that on it's you. It's all good. Yeah. Say yes to weird stuff when it comes your way. You never know. You, you know? never know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you were just emailing her without knowing that it was her? Uh, you were like, I'm just emailing this person for this thing, and I don't know Pretty what much, is. yeah. Okay. Sometimes when you're in the business, you get it. That's how it goes. Email strangers. Exactly. <laughs> Full on. Yeah. That's cool, though. Awesome. Um, so I'm very curious about, like, just, you know, all of your uh, L.A. adventures and stuff, because I know you from improv. Yeah. Uh, we've never done improv together, but I've seen... You do a couple of shows. I mean, I we go every Tuesday to see Cardinal Redbird, me and my friend Matt. Yeah. Big fans. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been at UCB. I like I graduated college in 2011 from mm-hmm. Williams College, which is a small school in Massachusetts, um, liberal arts school. And I like started doing improv there for two years. And then, yeah, I sort of graduated and was like, I like doing improv better than I like anything else that I studied there. So what were you going for? I, I was a double major in Spanish and psychology. Um, Any plans for what that was going to be? even really like, yeah, my mom is a Spanish professor at Bard College. So that was sort of like an academic-y, yeah, sort of like that world I was very used to. Um, but then I was also like a very serious track athlete. Um, and yeah, but through all of that, I kind of found improv my junior year and was like, I think I like, I really like it. Um, what did you like about it? I I was like never a theater kid growing up, um, but there was something about, I don't know, it was, it was, I felt like it kind of was exposing me to like a whole new group of people. And um, yeah, the performance, yeah, the performance element of it was something that I just sort of like connected to right away and kind of hadn't really realized that I had been missing that in my life. And it was something that I truly picked up sort of randomly. I was like, I feel like I do a lot of sports and a lot of school and like what's something kind of creative and different that I could do. Um, yeah, but it is funny because looking back on it, like we had a group of 10 and I would say I was like maybe the sixth funniest person in that group. Like not anywhere. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Number six on the list. But it wasn't like, Oh, I was destined to do this. Like I'm the best ever at this immediately. Um, but I just really liked it. And so yeah, in 2011 I moved out here and started UCB 101. Um, and then, Two years later, in 2013, I got onto Cardinal Redbird, which was then a Herald team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about that same time, White Women also formed, which is another UCB group. Um, 
And yeah, so I've been performing regularly for those two with those two groups for like six years now. Um, Jeez, no wonder yeah. your chemistry is so freaking fire. It's been yeah, it's yeah. it's a chemistry that in both cases is like built on a lot of time spent together outside of the stage. And I think I feel very lucky in both of those groups that it's like a group of my friends that I spend a lot of time with. And I think yeah. that absolutely translates. You can to definitely what we tell do. that you guys are having fun. Yeah, which is like just a. a Aside from good improv, it's also fun for us to watch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm like... For sure. When you first got into it, you weren't, like, really nervous about, like, performing in front of people or anything? Well, I will say, like, the two two years that I did at school was uh-huh. very useful because it was, like, we would do shows a couple times a semester, but I got a lot of... We practiced twice a week, though, so I got a lot okay. of, like, stage time That's in. That's a lot. It was a lot, yeah, but... Um, and it was, like, pretty chill. It was just, like, kind of a group of, uh, yeah, college improv team, kind of a lot of hanging out, but we would do scenes and, like take it not like super seriously but kind of committed to it and so I felt like when I started UCB 101 I had had two years of stage time under my belt already and so I was able to I think most people when they start 101 are dealing concurrently with like being freaked out with being on stage and also trying to understand the technique and Mm. I was not freaked out being on stage so I was able to really just sort of like try and absorb that technique right away Um, and I basically ran consecutively right through the UCB program and was also doing this improv boot camp that at the time Susie Barrett and Eugene Cordero and Drew DeFonso Marks were running. Um, None of those are ringing a bell. No, yeah. So Eugene is on the smokes, um, okay. but he doesn't, he's like kind of, uh, he was in King Kong and is kind of a successful actor now, so he's not really doing that much improv anymore. Mm-hmm. Susie Barrett, was she's an amazing teacher. Um, she was like a Boom Chicago person, uh, but they were running this, boot camp that was like five days a week, two hours a day. And so I did that basically for 18 months straight leading up to getting on Herald. Um, it's a lot of improv. A ton of improv. What and it was were like, you doing? <clears throat> like, wait, two hours every day? Two hours every day, yeah. Okay. Um, so you could work was, around that? I feel like there was like yeah. not a lot of time to do much else. That's a it lot It was of basically like 12 to 2 every single day. And it was just like, it was like going to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but uh, nothing will make you better than that kind of concentrated practice. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that's intense. Yeah. And also like there were people in that boot camp that... Um, a lot of people that like are on UCB Herald Night now, like Josh Breckis um, and Ed Rowe. I like people that I... They were sort of like about the same level as me, but also people that were getting on Herald teams like right before I was. And so being in a class where I was like, oh, I can play with these people, it sort of demystified the like that veil of like, oh, my God, they're on a UCB main stage team. I I couldn't possibly ever do that. Suddenly I was like, I did a scene with so and so and like I was just as good or better than them in that scene. And so that that made me feel like I had access to that space in a way. Yeah. 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 I've done um, some of the. the jams with uh, I can't remember his name, but he's on your team and he kind of hosts the jam, the big one. Uh, um, Jake Regal. Yeah. Yeah. So I w- have done stuff like that, so I, I kind of understand what totally. you're saying, where you're like, "Oh, I'm on stage with this person. I'm not falling on my face. Yeah, like, this is great. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think that's really important. Um, yeah, just sort of like yeah, just feeling that rhythm, and also you learn you learn so much from playing with people that are really a lot better than you. And mm-hmm. I, not so much like it when I was a student, but when I got into Redbird, like I got on Redbird maybe what a little like early. I was definitely, I think I was 23. I was like very still pretty new to all of it. I'd only yeah. kind of been in the LA improv scene for a couple of years, but I was getting onto a team with like Zach Reno and Madeline Walter, who had just both come off of being three years of Herald Knight already. And so like mm. when Beth Appel, who had been on Herald team in New York, um, 
And yeah, so instantly I was just like really forced to have to learn how to play at those people's level. And like, I, yeah, I was just kind of not like out of my depth. It was like, oh, I really got to <laughs> really got to elevate quickly in order to not kind of feel like I got left behind. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's really, and I, I think across the board, whether you do stand up or, or improv or writing or whatever, like being surrounded by people who challenge you to be better and like, really sort of, yeah, force 100%. you to show your worth, um, yeah. not in a negative way, but just in a way that's like, oh, you enjoy. your game up. Totally, like, enjoy and appreciate that competition. That You have to be almost on their level, though, right? To- I you don't have to be, like, right, but you can't be, like, a beginner and then, like, go hang for out sure. with. Yes. You know what I mean? Because, like, I'm, I'm a stand-up, so, like, when I, when my, my thing was, like, I'm going to move to L.A. because that's where all the best stand-ups are, and if mm-hmm. I'm around them, then I'm going to get better. Yeah. But I had never really done stand-up. Yeah. So when I moved out here, it's just like extremely intimidating because I'm like around all these open micers who like probably could be doing their own shows like at the comedy store if they wanted to. Yeah. But they aren't. But like now that I'm around them and it's just like. It's just intimidating. It's just so intimidating. And it's just for like, sure. Shit. Well, I think there's like a two step process that happens is one. You're right. When you first start out, I think you still should immerse yourself as completely as possible because yeah. you. You will you learn by consuming, right? You have to be able mm-hmm. to consume as much content as you produce. Um, but yeah, you will hit a spot then where you're not quite at their level, but somewhere kind of a step or two beneath. And mm-hmm. I think like being really, yeah, playing on a, a bill with uh, you know people that are like, oh shit, I don't want to, I don't want to eat shit in front of all these people. Uh, yeah. So I gotta really bring my best what, up. What made you go? come to LA rather than go to New York to do improv? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in New York, actually two hours north of the city, and oh. we spent some uh-huh. time in my youth going like a couple times a year down to New York, and I I don't know, I sort of felt like I... <clears throat> New York is not quite the place for me, and I kind of knew that from my time spent there, and also secondarily, I felt like I was going to end up moving to LA eventually, <clears throat> so why add that intermediary step? You know, um, mm-hmm. and I think I believe that I made the right choice, really. Like, it was great for me to start my career here where I felt like I could really be making friendships that are still, you know, with both those groups, like, mm-hmm. yeah, still are useful. And I think, like, had I spent a couple of years in New York, I probably would have been, like, really connected to some people that either stayed in New York or didn't come to L.A. And then it's sort of like, well, n- not that that's useless time necessarily, but I think from a purely professional standpoint, it is useful to have connections and contacts that are that we sort of came up together in the same place where we will be for the rest of our careers you know mm-hmm. um, yeah what made you go to UCB versus one of the other schools I that college team did sort of like a UCB style we didn't have a coach but we had a sort of like captain and he had done like 101 and 201 um, and I did I did a groundlings class as well when I was in 301 at UCB and I really liked that I thought it gave me a lot of um, they're much more theatrical in the way that they do their improv, and I think it's actually really useful complement to a lot of the UCB style. Like, um, for example, they don't ever do... They always do space work on the fourth wall towards the audience. So, like, if you're going to open a fridge, you would never turn away from the audience and open your fridge. You always open the fridge toward them, and they say that, like, that connects the audience to your physicality, and that's the thing that I have, you know, continued to use uh, through my improv career. So mm-hmm. I feel like I really did learn a lot about sort of like staging and the more proper theater of it. Um, but yeah, stylistically, it's a, it's a lot more, Groundlings is a lot more structured. It's a lot of, um, yeah, obviously short form, but also just sort of even their long form has a lot more parameters on it. And I preferred the more open-ended uh, UCB 
type of play, um, even though obviously the uh, Herald does have some structural elements to it. But um, yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room within that. Um, but yeah, and like IO and, and Second City, like I never took classes there, but you perform a lot there kind of as you're coming up and it just was never, the audiences there were never quite as big or, or good. <laughs> so I wanted well, to just I think be the, at the, the Groundlings. Perf- um, no, I'm sorry, at uh, I.O. and Second City. Oh, okay. Well, the, the crowds are really great at UCB because the shows are For really sure. good. So you know you're going to get, most mostly you're going to get a, a good show, mm-hmm. either decent or more than that. Yeah. Because recently I've gone to some other shows that weren't UCB, and you can you can tell, you know, yeah. that they maybe they have a different uh, teaching. And just from me going through UCB, I understand what you guys are doing on stage. I see, you know, the groundwork that's being laid. I understand yeah. the the process is going through your minds. Whereas the other schools, maybe just because I haven't gone to those classes, but I'm still like, I don't know what they're trying to do. And yeah, yeah the whole crowd is kind of like just the performers, which is a weird element. Definitely. So yeah, yeah UCB's done really well at, <laughs> you know, facilitating. Yeah. The, just all around yeah. performances in the crowds. And that's really nice. It was like you, you, the more you're around, the more you get people that sort of like, uh, connect to you in like as a, as a player and are there to sort of like see you because they like what you bring to it. And it, it, it creates a different experience, um, both as a performer and as an audience member where there's like almost a, a comfort level there where you're like, Oh, I'm seeing, I don't know, you know, um, Will Hines on stage. Like, I know I like Will's style. I'm excited yeah. to sort of, like, see what he's bringing today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, for sure. Nice. Um, and yeah. you have, I did see you do stand-up at the Inner Sanctum, right? Uh, I don't know. I do storytelling sometimes. Storytelling. Okay, yeah. maybe that's what it was. I've done a couple moths. Um, What's that? The moth is, like, this big national storytelling organization, and they do... Hmm. Um, these story slams that are kind of like open mics where you put your hand, your like name in a basket and then they'll mm-hmm. pick 10 people up. But it's like co-funded by like NPR and like it's this huge, it's the biggest storytelling organization in, in I think maybe even worldwide. Like they have a big podcast that's super uh, popular. Really? Um, yeah. I've never heard of this. Oh, really? No. That surprised <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, my friend Matt's uh, roommate, he does a lot of things with Moss, so that's how I've heard yeah. about it. Yeah. They'll what, do what is like a storytelling show like? Just I mean, besides obviously from the obvious storytelling, but I, like what is there any other element? I think that's kind of there. Is there yeah, the pieces, is there like any like huge name in storytelling? Um, like Mike Birbiglia, who does oh okay yeah he yeah love him yeah he is like a big there are a lot of, or like Hassan Minaj like a lot of dudes who do stand up but also uh, storytelling are also sort of storytelling <clears throat> yeah it's it's and even, is it more like comedic or is it serious it depends a little bit like I think as as opposed to proper stand up like you don't you're not forced to have jokes in every moment and yeah. I think in fact yeah. like the audience at these places like they'll go with you to some sort of like darker more emotional more dramatic um, yeah. pieces uh, they're not there necessarily to be made to laugh and they don't come to watch with that intention um, that's a they, they are a very warm and, and like comedy if it happens sort of naturally but it's not as it's different where you don't ever do it in like a storytelling piece like that made me think of like what if this one thing was doing th-? like it's not that sort of um, like hypothetical kind of roll rolling out of comedic premises mm-hmm. it's more let's laugh at what are the real life incongruities and and hmm. just sort of moments right. um, and so for the moth specifically like they the pieces are 
between their five minutes, you get like a grace minute. Um, and then you have to wrap it up. So it's like pretty quick, but I guess, yeah, it's like a stand up um, five as well, but it's all one narrative story. And, um, yeah. And so for this story slam, then they'll, they have like audience votes and then they'll rank those 10 storytellers. And then if you win, you get to go to do the grand slam, which is 10 winners from other story slams. And that's like at the region downtown with 600 people. It's awesome. I've done that a couple of times. Um, you made it like to the, yeah, I've done two grand slams. Yeah. So I won two story slams and then two did two grand slams. Um, congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I did not make a dollar doing that, but it was very fun. Yeah. You should check it out. Um, they do them like every couple of months downtown and and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. I wanted to say that Mike Burbigley and um, Hassan, both of their last um, stand-up specials yeah. were that genre Very where much. you were like, oh, you're not really saying jokes, but you are being funny because yeah. they just are those people. Like the way they see the world Absolutely. is from a funny perspective. Uh, yeah. But Mike's d- definitely goes to a dark place. Totally. Uh, so yeah. I didn't know that that's where it was spawning from. Yes. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I know who he is, but I, c- I can't say I've ever seen any of his stand-up or storytelling. He's got a lot of really great... Uh, he has like three major specials that I think two of them are on Netflix and one yeah. you can get on iTunes. But oh, He's one of those guys where I always see him on Netflix. I'm like, is that Jim Gaffigan? Oh, it's not. Not quite, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, another white guy. <laughs> yeah, another sort of heavy like white guy. Jim yeah, Gaffigan. for sure. But yeah. he's great. Like his... his it's all one thing, right? As opposed to just sort of like random fractal ideas. Like there's uh-huh. something really satisfying about watching an hour long complete narrative where it's like, and his are really yeah. interesting the way yeah. he structures them. He'll sort of like jump forward in time and then loop back to an original idea and then sort of like loop back <clears> out <throat> again. And it's a real feat of writing too. He's like very good at, at, at that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I recommend he's got, uh, sleepwalk with me where he tells a story of like <laughs> developing this sleeping disorder that made him jump out of a hotel window yep. one time. Uh, my girlfriend's boyfriend is sort of about like a couple of relationships that he had. And then he's got a thank God for jokes one. Um, that's like about comedy sort of more generally, but yeah, they're great. I would check them out. So what else, um, have you done any like writing or directing? I feel like I've seen something yeah. in that genre. Yeah, so on I'm a writer on AP Bio on NBC. Um, nice. We are, yeah, just getting set. I start work a week from today, actually, for season two. Um, nice. Yeah, so that was my first writing job. Um, How'd you was land that? Awesome. Yeah, how yeah, so I had written uh, just like a, a pilot sample a couple of years ago, um, and yeah, it's sort of like I, I don't know if you guys know who Sean Clements is. He's on Shitty Jobs, um, yes, which is a Sunday yes. night. He's like a big po- podcast dude. Yeah. He runs Hollywood Handbook with uh, Hayes Davenport, and yeah, he he just sort of like being around the podcasting world and um, the improv world. I was like chatting with him about a script that I had written and he this was like kind of around when staffing season was happening and so he was really nice and <laughs> went out of his way to recommend me to a couple of different places and through that I ended up getting a meeting with uh, Michael Bryan who uh, is now my boss and he yeah so he read my script and those staffing meetings are like they, they read your material and then it's sort of like a, a personality interview almost uh. where it's like could I see myself working with you for you know, six months straight, uh, 10 hours a day, five days a week. Um, and yeah, so if you vibe, then yeah, then that's great. Um, you did the, you did the first season too. I did the first season. Yes. That was last year. Um, yeah, it was really, really great. Um, and so 
yeah, Mike was such an awesome dude. He's like an SNL dude and a lot of, it's mm-hmm. a Broadway video show. So there's a lot of kind of SNL DNA in there. And, um, that was really cool for me just to sort of like be able to hear those, uh, <laughs> war stories secondhand. Um, oh, I bet. and yeah. And I just learned so much about, yeah, just, just story structure and how to, how to pitch story, how to think about story, how to think about joke construction. Like it's, it was a real crash course in becoming, uh, a good writer. And yeah, my, like, I think my pilot that I, that got me the job is like good and solid, but was a lot of stuff that I was just sort of doing naturally based on, you know, years, eight years of worth of improv at that point. Um, and, but this is like, now I feel like I really have, I can like really see the matrix, uh, in a way that I couldn't before that job where yeah, yeah. I really am able to, yeah, think about the way that stories progress. Um, so yeah, it's, it was really great. Um, I got to co-write an episode with Mike that Carrie Brownstein directed, which was really amazing. Um, and just like being on set that whole week and sort of seeing the way that that happens and the way that <coughs> the directors work with the DP. Um, oh yeah, just so much, <coughs> so much hands on. So much, yeah. And I think like I had done a fair amount of acting up until that point, but when you're an actor, you get the most like completed version of the script or the idea, and you're just like say the words and put it on you know on screen. But yeah. when you're on the writing side, you really become aware of the whole business of TV, like thinking about having to consider our storylines with the idea of that we have budgeted four days on the lot and one day off the lot. And so like you have to think about stories that fit within your standing sets and stories that we can go on location to shoot. Um, yeah. Or wow. going into tone meetings and prop meetings. and I would never think of that stuff. Totally, yeah. I had yeah. no, you have That's no cause to think about it prior to having that be your job. Um, That's but, funny because yeah. I, I just watched the first episode of that show the other day because I was, I was oh, talking yeah. to one of my friends about... Um, um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And and then I had listened to Glenn Howerton and Charlie Day on... Um, wait, is that his name? In yeah. Always Sunny? Or is that yep. his real name in real Charlie life? Day. Charlie Day. His, yeah. Okay. Um, I, was, I was listening to them on Mark Maron. Yeah. And um, just, the, just the way that they were like talking about the show and like who they were like outside of the show. Yeah. You know, I was just like, damn, like they're so interesting, man. I love those guys. For sure. And then I just, I was like, oh yeah, he's on like a new show. I should yeah. go watch that. And it's really good. Yeah. Cause I had watched, um, my, my aunt was telling me to watch the Mick, mm-hmm. um, with Kate. Yeah. And I just, it's not that it's a bad show. I just didn't like it. Yeah. I just did. I you didn't. Your preferences. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't, it just wasn't for me. But for then sure. I watched that and I was just like, dude, like his character is just yeah, so good. And I love... And Patton Oswalt's attached to it, too, He's right? He's the principal, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And does he write for it? He does not write for it, no. Okay. Um, but, yeah. 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 Does he have any, like, creative influence on it? Um, I mean, like... Not so much. Yeah, both Glenn is like officially a producer on this show, but he's not. He came and like hung out with us in the writers' room a little bit early on to pitch ideas, but um, yeah, neither of those guys are like super involved on the mm-hmm. writing side per se. But obviously, they give thoughts and notes after table reads and they stuff just show, like they that. They show up and they just show up and, and get paid <laughs> and then go on their way. And, you know, well, it's <laughs> very awesome. like inspiring to see his how he got into the business, yeah. and then you get to work with somebody who started where you started essentially, like yeah, yeah. With, with nothing and just was like, I'm gonna write something totally. and make it myself, and then. <laughs> You know, it's this huge success, yeah, and now thirteen he's, seasons later, <laughs> yeah. so good. And they like made that pilot right, and then just showed it to that the, pilot is so brilliant. It's yeah. just like it's hilarious <laughs> standalone story. It's totally, what it's like episode number three or something of the Wait, first what? season. No, I, I thought you were talking about that like homemade video they made. Yeah, the homemade video they put it in the show, right? I, don't I know. 
think they did. Where I, somebody has cancer, but then they also <laughs> want to play basketball. Like, that's the whole... It's been forever no, since I've seen that. Yeah, it's like, he comes over to Charlie's crap place, and he's like, I got cancer. And he's like, um... <laughs> the basketball <laughs> like this, he was basically like this is not when I want to talk about this yeah. so like and Charlie's like yeah it was cancer and blah 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 and he's just like so the basketball like that's yeah. the whole scene and I think that's the one that they were um, pushing around at least Got that's it. what I yeah. was told just the fact that it was like filmed on like some crappy camera or something like that yeah you it's know? beautiful and I that love their it. personalities shined so bright that someone was like you know what I would like to make this into a TV for show for sure yeah yeah, yeah. Glenn's really interesting. He's like a, he's a Juilliard trained actor and he's, as opposed to like the rest of the show and a lot of the writers are, <laughs> we're all like improvisers and very sort of like loose with their ideas and yeah. loose with dialogue or whatever. But he's very precise in the way that he acts. And like, he really, like you can see that training when he's on set. He you like can, really sort of like yeah. drops into it and it's really, it's cool to watch um, from as an actor standpoint, like watching his process sort of happen was pretty fascinating for me. Yeah. I love watching very good actors do comedy. Yeah. It, it definitely, you can tell because the comedy sells so much more Yeah, when somebody is uh, like, it used to be like you commit to the emotion Yeah, and whatever's happening around you kind of follows you with <clears> the comedy. So because you're so in it, it's hilarious. Yeah. But it, you can tell somebody who doesn't have so much training because they kind of wink to the comedy. For sure. And you can definitely tell that when uh, when comedy's really good, you're like, oh, wow, like they're a really good actor. Yeah. So that's why it works. Totally. Like I was just watching uh, the one guy, not Jim Carrey, the other guy for um, Dumb and Dumber. What is that? Jeff actor? Daniels. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So rude. My bad. Uh, he, he, <laughs> I was watching a roundtable that he was on, and he basically was saying how his agents and managers were like, don't do Dumb and Dumber. Like, you're going to ruin your career. Yeah. It's going to be terrible for you. But he was like, guys, I'm a good actor, so it's going to be good. Right. Basically is what ended up happening. And it was like a huge, iconic movie. Yeah. And stuff. Oh, shit. So don't yeah. sneeze at good actors doing comedy. No, yeah. It's definitely helpful. Absolutely, yeah. So what's, um like, did you have, like... You went into improv and you were like, this is fun, but do you have like a, a goal for your career? Like, do you have something that you're sort of working towards? Yeah, I would. I mean, my uh, part of the reason I took the writing job is that I want to be able to write and act uh, on the same show. Um, and yeah, and so like it's a career similar to like what Mindy's doing right now mm-hmm. or um, yeah, I mean, I, less so. But yeah, some of those kind of like writer, director, I'm sorry, writer, actor, um, people who have a show that that they can kind of sort of influence on both sides. And then like secondarily also maybe something in the movie space, like writing and um, acting in a movie as well. Um, Yeah, I just finished my first feature script ever, which is really fun and was like pretty nice. major undertaking but um Did yeah you do that all by yourself all by myself yeah <laughs> which is like uh is the kind of thing that i think prior to uh, a year in the room i would not have had the not a, so much confidence but even just like wherewithal to undertake something like that right um well now you like see it you know how it goes totally absolutely so i would imagine it would be a lot easier yeah. yeah although it's interesting like the difference between tv and movies sort of from a storytelling perspective is like with tv <clears throat> you check in every week to see 
your favorite characters act the same way, right? Like you're right. going to Seinfeld to watch him be sort of like put out by everyone around him or yeah, you're watching 30 Rock to watch Liz Lemon be like just completely overwhelmed by her <laughs> insane actors, right? right. Um, but with movies, it's like the, the story itself is you're tracking the change, like the growth from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're sort of boxing, you're boxing that change off a little bit more completely within 110 pages or whatever. And so, yeah, thinking about that kind of growth on the at the level of character is something that was kind of new to me and a fun challenge to undertake. Um, and like also, I, I really like genres too. And so playing with like it's a lot of genres are structured very specifically and kind of learning how to play within those structures, but also learn to kind of keep your own voice. Um, yeah. Like feeling your own voice within that structure. Um, so like more specifically, like with romantic comedies, for example, you have these like two leads that at the beginning of the movie are not, uh, they're not ready for each other. Right. And then as they sort of like grow, then we're tracking this change by the end of the movie where, um, yeah, they are ready for each other. Um, how many pages is a, is a feature? Usually like 110, um, sometimes 120. Yeah. I don't think I could ever do that. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's a big feat, but you, uh, you know, take it page by page. When you're done, do you, are you like, fuck. Or is it like, okay, now I got to like rework all of this? I'm just at that point right now where I'm like about to finish sort of the like end of this first draft. Uh And now it's like I'm about to get into the revision (laughs) standpoint, which probably will take forever. But yeah, yeah, I I basically like wrote it with the same process that we do for AP Bio, which is Mm -hmm. that like there are kind of three major steps. The first is like just building, just breaking story very loosely. Like, um, this happens next. Then, you know, then this person does this. They sort of have a conversation somewhere in this area where you're just seeing the beats as broadly as possible. And then the second step is going scene by scene outline. So literally like, you know, fade in interior, uh, kitchen day. So-and-so wakes up, has eggs, does this, says a couple of things like this. And then yeah, scene by scene and then jump to script where you're, you know, writing in final draft and doing all that business. But that's the way that we do it at the show. And I think like having that template was really useful for me where, yeah, you're not jumping and biting off 110 pages of script right away. Right. Right. You're building this very, yeah. Piece by piece sort of like, uh, yeah, just machine from the from the get go, and a, being able to get thoughts and feedback at earlier levels too helps you not suddenly be ninety pages deep in a script in a script and realize, oh, oh shit, I'm doing everything wrong. This is a mess, right? Yeah, I'm like pretty confident about the the way that things are structured because I've had people look at it at outline level, right? Um, so yeah. What is that, if you want to talk about that feature, what is the story of Sure, that? yeah, it's a romantic comedy horror mashup. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Shaun that's, of the Dead? Uh, sort of, yeah, yeah, kind of more supernatural horror. Like, it's about okay. um, a, yeah, these two sort of, like, commitment phobes that um, are sort of, like, relationship bailers, and then they start lightly dating, and through the course of going on a couple of dates, end up buying <laughs> a necklace that's haunted by this malevolent ghost that's, like, killing people, and they have to figure out how to, like, get rid of this while at the same time dealing with some of their, like, emotional issues. Um, and then they fall in love. And then love. they fall in love, yeah, of course, yeah, because that's... Who, who wants a movie like that with a not a happy ending? Nobody. Well, have you seen um, 500 Days of Summer? Sure, yeah. That movie made me very upset. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, La La Land for that matter. Or even La La Land. You're like not... Yeah, but they both find love in 
500 shades or 500 photos <laughs> called 500 shades. It was like nobody has love. I know. And you're like, yeah. this is too real. I don't like it. Yeah. I love both of those movies. <laughs> I only like one. You're all about the sort of unsatisfying ending. Kind of. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Kind I think of, it relates yeah. to who you are a little probably bit. Probably a little bit. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Yeah. You go through a little bit more rough patches and you're like, yeah, everybody else should feel this way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, bro. Uh, so is, uh, is comedy your favorite genre of movie? Um, or horror, I guess, seems like maybe something you like? No, I would say probably, like, yeah. A good... I do genuinely really love rom-coms. Like, that's... I just think they're... They're yeah. very satisfying. Favorite that like, comes to mind? Um, yeah, I really like... Um, even, like, sort of, like, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is one of my favorite movies. Um, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I really like... I mean, I've seen all the classics, like the uh, 10 Things I Hate About You and all that. That business is <coughs> pretty fun. Hitch is a, a, one I of my love favorite movies. Hitch. I, lo- I truly watch Hitch like a I feel like that's times. like an underrated movie, but everybody that I talk to that has seen it loves it. Yeah. So it's like you've either seen it and you love it or you haven't and you don't know totally. that you love it. Yeah. But you're going to love it. It's I have a theory great. on why so many people haven't seen that. Why? Because it's Will Smith. Nobody wants to see him. Like, And I mean, I'll watch the movie. I'm not saying I won't like it. Oh, you're talking about But, like, game. no one, like, people want to go see Will Smith because he, like, became an action star or he's, like, in comedies. And I know Hitch is a comedy. Mm-hmm. But, like, when you see the trailer, at least when I did when I was, like, 15 or 16, whenever it came out, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like, oh, it's a rom-com, you know? And at so the you're time, automatically I didn't out? like rom-coms, but, like, I mean, I would maybe like it now, but, like, I think that's why, like, maybe it flies under the radar a little bit. Because it was Will Smith Because it's not a, a I Am Legend. Or Independence Day. Oh. You know what I mean? You're like, I see him as like, an I action never, star, I and never that's all I want. I never saw it because like, I was like, oh, it's like a, Will Smith's in a movie for women, you know? Oh. Not, I mean, that was my brain <laughs> when I was like 14 or whenever it came out. Sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right. It's great. It's very funny. I'll have yeah. to watch it. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's great. Um, it always makes me laugh. It's, it's one of those movies that it's a feel good. You've talked about it like several times. I think I have. I yeah. Don't know. On the podcast. It gets brought up it. a decent amount. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> He's not an action star in it, but he is a true, like, he is a movie star. And even in a movie like that, you really feel it. Like, he's just truly magnetic he on screen. And, like, and he's, yeah, I'd say he's that. And, like, Fresh Prince was a big comedy influence for me. Oh, and really? Like, yeah. Right. Couldn't yeah. tell from <laughs> what you wear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he had a crazy thing where it's like, there was a video floating around of him telling the story, but like he basically had to do Fresh Prince because he was a rapper, got very successful, bought a bunch of houses and cars for his family, went bankrupt and was like, oh fuck, I have no money. Oh, what no. am I going to do? And then Quincy Jones was like, you should do the sitcom. <laughs> and That's really why did, like, did a, it? Yeah. And then they, he had never acted before. What? Yeah, it's insane. And actually, if you wow. go back and watch the pilot, you can see, if you he's watch, like, really, he's a little bit nervous. Specifically, he's accidentally inf- mouthing the other actors as they're doing their lines. Uh, what does that mean? Like, so as, if we're having a scene, and like, it's my line, and then you respond, he's, because he's memorized the way the script works, he, he's, like, kind of going like this. And, like, as, like... Saying um, your line is Yeah, Alfonso Rivera was saying his lines or whatever. Like no he's, way. Yeah. Which uh, Emma Watson also did. Sure. When she was It's in a her very classic movie. thing for early actors to do. Yeah. But it's crazy, though, even from the get-go, that he has such a, like, feel for the way the rhythm of jokes and moments are played. Like, he's a true... 
undeniable comedic performer. talent, like a true performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like some of that, I'm sure you get from from being a musician. But it's he was just like really born to do comedy in many ways. Um, and yeah, that that sort of charisma that he brings is really fascinating. And it's it's cool to see how like. I don't know. That show's just <laughs> is really, really good and holds up and it's is amazing. so funny. It's and just, it's funny. And yeah. the, the, the clothing right now is making a comeback. For I don't sure. know if you've noticed. Yeah. The nineties are, <laughs> I don't big. think he has noticed. I have not noticed. I was <laughs> unaware of the nineties bright How colors. How many pairs of uh, overalls do you own? Uh, only two, but Aww. I do love a good, I do love a good overall. I have so many like <laughs> bright, loud patterned pieces of clothing. When though. did, have you always dressed like that or is that, um, Newish? Yeah, it's pretty, since high school. Yeah, and okay. it's like gotten more and more progressively just <laughs> overtaken every piece of my. I mean, this watch that I have on. I is was looking insane. at that. That's um, yeah. a watch. What you is know? that themed? Is that like My Little Pony it. or something? It's not My Little Pony themed, uh, unfortunately. But um, are you a brony? Yes, I'm not a brony. Uh, no, that's excuse not. Me, excuse me, brony. Okay. Yeah. Is that? A Do you know what that is? Nope. It's a man that loves I love Little Pony. There's like a whole subculture of My Little Pony. Yeah. Where yeah, does yeah. that live? It's like hot topic. They they oh. did like a documentary about it. Did they? I think they did, yeah. Oh, I would it, love to watch it, it. It sort of got popularized because somebody did a like uh an investigation into the brony culture. Yeah. Interesting. When I was in high school, there was like maybe five kids or something like that. Dudes, by the way. Yeah. You know, that looked very nerdy and, you know, whatever. But they were like they had like the binder, the backpack. Really? I think shoes, maybe. Wow. For real. But those are like really grown men that do it. No, yeah, now there is. I'm gonna do those kids research. grew up. That's yeah. very interesting. Yes. And they're oh. called bronies. Yeah. So your watch is what? It's, it's just not that. It's, it's just, just bright colorful. and nineties and colorful. Yeah. Gotcha. It's a G shock. It's not brony though, unfortunately. Brony. You should maybe <laughs> look uh, into getting one. I guess so. I sure could. <laughs> um yeah. I feel like someone's going to bring back the whole my uh i keep saying i love little pony for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i love little pony yeah yeah i feel like someone's going to bring that back though like and like someone famous is going to start wearing I, uh, my, my little, little pony, pony my little pony shirts or something like that and then all of a sudden it's going to be a trend either that or what is it sally uh, who's oh uh, lisa frank lisa frank yeah if God. Kanye started wearing My Little Pony shirts, yeah, that would it would take two seconds for everybody seconds. to have that on. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Agreed. We're all on board. Yeah. <laughs> he brought back dad shoes. <sighs> He's doing a Could lot. Could easily things. happen. And dad hats too. Like once Kendrick started wearing those hats <clears throat> that were like kind of dorky, everyone was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I kind of like of those." those though. Me too. Totally. They don't, they don't fit my head, but I yeah. kind of like them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love the fashion right now. Sure, I'm so. Fashion is great, guys. Fashion is great. Remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this podcast. All about fashion. You dress like this when you when you perform. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I saw you, you were just like wearing a shirt. Mm, You just look pretty. I do own a couple shirts, (laughs) kind of regular. (laughs) No, just like a black (laughs) shirt or something. You know what I mean? That could be. Yeah. Uh, I would say the majority of my as. Here's my truth is like I just want to get successful enough to be wearing just whatever <laughs> crazy ass thing I want and people can be like, oh, That's he's just earned that right. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I got you. Yeah. That you, there will be a direct correlation to how crazy I dress to <laughs> frankly how much money I make. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look out for that one day, guys, where. Yeah. I have a question about um, Cardinal Redbird. Yeah. How many of you are there? Well, there are nine of us, okay. which is big for an improv team. Yeah, um, okay. but there's a lot of absences here and there. Yeah, we have, yes, we, 
So we were a Herald team with eight, and then there was a weird transaction that happened where one of our members got graduated individually to a a weekend team to search history. Madeline went to search history, and we uh, had a replacement for our last, what ended up being six months on Herald Night, and then six months later, the full team got graduated, and because Madeline had only been gone for a few months, we were like, can we add her back now that we have our own slot? And they said yes, so we ended up with nine, Um, but it was not nine the whole time. Mm. Uh, But yeah, it's 11 p.m. on Tuesdays now, so... (laughs) yeah. I sorry, I just remembered the thing that I really wanted to ask. Did you go to New York for the Glenn Close um The Del Close Marathon? Yeah. I did, yes. So that is do you wanna tell I'm sure Anthony has no idea what that yeah, is. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> yes. Well first do you want to finish your Redbird related question? Did I answer yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, how do you guys all like get along outside of improv? Do oh, you guys yeah. all hang out and like do you guys work on anything before the show? We because that was the first improv show I've ever actually seen. Got it. And um, when I got out, I was I told you or Matt, and I was just like, I have so many questions. Yeah. Like, how do they do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? We do not. Nothing <laughs> is preplanned. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would assume, but like, do you yeah. guys like, go over anything? Um, or do you just beforehand? Like, you just walk in like, hey, what's up, guys? All right, let's start. Let's go out. Let's yeah. Start. Basically, we'll meet what? up for like 10 minutes beforehand and just That's, sort of talk about our days. But it's no. That's impressive. Yeah. It's like, it's a. That that is the skill. Like that's the sort of learning how to, yeah, create those moments is what we've mm-hmm. all spent you know ten, ten years learning how to do correctly. And so yeah, yeah. yeah um, we used to practice uh, two times a week for a couple of years, and we don't practice anymore. But um, yeah, so it's just like we have a real facility with each other from having been around each other for that long. Um, and yeah, we spend a lot of time hanging out outside of. Uh, practice and or outside of the shows um because yeah. i was just thinking like you would have to get along so well with those people like totally in, inside you know ucb and right. outside yeah to make that work as well and it as doesn't it does. always happen that way and mm-hmm. we were very lucky too in that like so that team was engineered by the theater like we all oh. auditioned and the theater <laughs> put us together but i didn't really like the know Backstreet boys basically yes okay. um uh but i didn't know anybody on that team really beforehand i had met Drew Spears and I actually had a Herald art the year that we got placed were had an audition together that like he was in my Herald audition and then we ended up on the same team, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, so it's a total crapshoot of like, do these personalities match both, you know, interpersonally and comedically. And like the committee does their best to sort of like make these snap judgments based on um, auditions and like some familiarity with the way that people play, but it can be, it can go both ways, right? Either be really good or really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Redbird spends a lot of time just sort of like, hanging out and going on vacation <laughs> together and doing festivals and That's um, awesome. yeah how did you, you guys come up with the name not any super interesting way just like meeting up a couple times and like pitching random things and then okay. having that at one point uh, we th- <laughs> we considered being called uh, butt heroin which is a really <laughs> stupid name butt <laughs> heroin uh-huh, yeah wow. because Who somebody was that? i think Drew Spears somebody was talking about <laughs> yeah. how Emodium, which is that like uh, anti-diarrhea yeah, yeah, medication, yeah. has the same like key ingredients as heroin, and so we're like, it's essentially heroin for your butt, and that's how <laughs> butt heroin came about. But uh, we did not stick with butt heroin. And I don't think a lot of people would be like, "What's this? I'm gonna go check this right, show out." Yeah, I can't wait to go see butt heroin at 9 p.m. <laughs> on Monday night. Uh, <laughs> so uh, no, not my thing. Yes, not my thing. That's amazing. Um, anyway, so what's this Glenn Close thing you're talking about? Oh, Del Close. Glenn Close oh, is an actress. Did I say Glenn? You for sure did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, Glenn Close Festival? 101 yeah. Dalmatians Fest? What's going on? Yeah. Um, the, Shows yeah, you the, how knowledgeable I am. I know. So. There you go. 
that would be a wild festival, a very different kind of festival than this one was. Um, but yes, yeah, oh, big improv, uh, improv festival in New York that they do every year. Uh, this is actually, they just did the last one in New York. It's moving to LA next year. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but it's a blast. It's like to, uh, basically three days straight of nonstop improv, literally 24 hours a day. Um, wow. And yeah, it's been a really cool, like I did my first one four years ago. And like white women did, our, our first one was four years ago. We did a 15 minute slot to like 40 people in the audience. And then this year we did a like sold out 200 people full hour. It was awesome. It was like nice. a really cool just sort of progression of, um, yeah, of our improv careers. And yeah, so I went with, like Redbird was there as well. Um, and then I do some musical improv with Baby Wants Candy. So I did a show with them. Mm. Um, and then, like, during the night, they run these, like, 10-minute bit shows that are all just, like, insane alternative comedy. Um, like, for example, there's uh, <laughs> there's a Beth Appel, who's on Cardinal Redbird, every year runs a show called uh, One Minute of Perfect Improv, followed by a nine-minute standing ovation. And that's literally <laughs> what they do. They'll do just, like, a, a minute of scenes and then force the audience to just clap for nine minutes nine straight. Nine minutes? Yeah. And oh so it's God. just stuff like that, where it's just, like, really goofy bizarre alternative um the last couple of years i've done this black panther object work spectacular which is uh like all the black improvisers from new york and la getting on stage and just like screaming like militant stuff at the audience <laughs> and it's really a ton of fun so um yeah it's I great love to be there it's a lot of it's like and people wait in line for truly like hours and hours and hours like really? they do they'll sort of like cycle people in but people will sit outside like it's comic-con or whatever and wow. like wait truly for hours in the hot sun to go in and see their favorite improvisers and it's like yeah both um performers and um yeah just sort of like watchers from all over the world and and it's really cool um so yeah I that don't know. is incredible. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Um I'm sort of sad that it's not going to be in New York anymore just more of the like now you don't get a reason to go there. Yeah, and it feels like it'll be less of an event if it's in the you know in the town where you live. Yeah, um, yeah. But and I think it's going to be a little bit smaller. Like they run, they're running like eight stages um, all across Lower Manhattan. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's like a really big undertaking. But is it going to um, be here this year? It will be here. Yeah, this coming. We just finished this one a couple weeks ago, and now, oh, okay. Yeah, next so summer. next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any idea where in LA it's going to be? It's just going to be at UCB. They'll run it out of the three, th- like Sanctum, Sunset, and uh, Franklin. Oh. So yeah, but it's going to be like it's going to be nuts. I mean, I don't know. I think it will be really different. I don't. I don't. I don't one hundred percent know how it's going to work yet. But yeah, I think they got to the point where it was like the theater was spending a fair amount of money to fly out all of these performers that are all in LA and to New York. And they're like, why don't we just have people go to them instead yeah. <laughs> like making them all come here? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah. that would be uh, financially or I don't know, maybe just you get more people. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe. yeah, I'm not sure, but it was fun also getting perform at the new UCB Hell's kitchen, which is like a really cool new space in New York that they just opened up. Um, what Hell's Kitchen is that? Just what the a, stage is called? It's a city, yeah, right? it's a it's a neighborhood. Yeah, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, it's where Daredevil's from. Get your shit that's straight. Right. <laughs> this is where Del- Daredevil is from. Yes, he I performs know on Monday nights. I know nothing <laughs> about New York. Yeah, <laughs> Daredevil. You <laughs> can't see, but he's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, what if they just had a whole troop of you just were blind and did improv like? That would be yeah. That'd be a, that'd yeah, be a yeah, show. Yeah. Blind improv. I mean, you could do improv with any sort of a restriction, yeah. and it would 
if you had good improvisers, it would yeah. be hilarious. How, how would blind improv work? You know improv what they'd master, have to. Can you tell us? Yeah, I don't think it, honestly. I don't think it would be that different. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because it's all about listening, not seeing so much. Yeah. Well, no. you, you'd be like, you'd have to be like, tell me what you're doing, because I can't just. Sure, I think guess like the way you would have to be a little bit different about the way that the moves were being presented, and yeah, the physicality would change a little bit. But yeah, I think you could do it. They'll I feel do like somebody would trip and fall. Maybe there's like a, f- a form called the bat where it's improv in the dark. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. What? So the audience can't see it either. Uh, audience can't see it either, and they'll do yeah a full on yeah. Have you done a lot of um, different types of uh, the structures? Because Harold is. Uh, it's not what you guys do. It's kind of a... Not anymore. Yeah, we were a Herald team for three years, three and a half years. And mm. then, yeah. Um, and then we don't do that anymore. But yeah, I've done I've done a lot of it. Um, yeah, when we were on Herald, like even within the Herald, there are different styles of Heralds that you can do. Um, I don't know if you know what the Herald is, but it's like this basic long form structure mm-hmm. that's like three pieces and yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, I've been sort of roughly explained it. Got it, cool. Yeah. yeah. But um, so like even with that, we did like... <clears throat> We did, like, an action movie Herald one time, or we did, like, um, a French scene Herald, which all is, like, a mono scene Herald, essentially, and takes place all in the same place. And, like, uh-huh. the three beats are going on kind of concurrently in the space, and then the group games are just everybody goes and sort of, like, talks to each other and then splits back out. It's pretty cool. We did it on St. Patrick's Day, our first year as a Herald team. We did a Birds Herald that was us playing ourselves at birds after our show. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so weird and crazy, but like in the opening that we did was our fake Herald at UCB. So we did it like a, a three minute Herald and then did uh, like what we were talking about at birds through our beats was like, man, that was a great show. And like, it was really cool. Um, <laughs> That's super clever. Very sort of like weird and it's alternative. It's like heady a little bit, but yeah. I like yeah. it. I would it was love a, to see that. a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's like, there are just a lot. Our first coach was Billy Merritt, who um, is on the smokes. And he's like a very, on the swarm, a veteran. One of the, I think he was actually the UCB's first student, I believe. Wow. I believe that's his claim to fame, uh, among other things. But um, he's very into the sort of like alternative genre type heralds and kind of exploring the form. Um, yeah, in, in as many ways as you can. And so he pushed us to a lot of that stuff early on, which I think was really cool for us to be able to try and undertake. Um, yeah, but you can do like a gibberish herald where you don't speak in any con- like <laughs> coherent words. You can yeah. do there are like yeah, silent heralds. Or you can do it all. So how does the the in the dark thing work? The in like the dark what? thing, it's just like usually you'll get the the improvisers just kind of like sitting in chairs so nobody's moving around. Um, and yeah, you're just sort of like playing the scenes out as. Uh, it requires a sort of like higher level of listening because you obviously you're not exchanging any visual information, but um, yeah, I don't know. And then it just sort of runs like a normal show. The edits are are usually like you'll get people just sort of like taking over and they're sort of like clear about the fact that they're starting a new scene because mm. they'll start st- speaking in a, a different tone or in a way that's like not referencing what was just happening. And so that's sort of like the indicator that a new scene is, is beginning. Mm. Um, that yeah, might, that might be helpful for people just learning because there's, there's so much not listening that goes yeah. on in uh, beginner or just bad improv totally. where you're like, he literally just said Tuesday and now you're talking about a completely different day, but we all heard it. Right. Absolutely. We know that you're not listening now. Yeah, and for sure. <laughs> so that'd be interesting to like train yeah. that way. For sure. Yeah. You could do scenes just sort of like sitting in chairs with your eyes closed and I think you would get a lot of that. Yeah. Same. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So there's an ex- improv exercise also where you you run a scene with two players seated back to back where they're looking at the walls in different directions. And mm-hmm. this is sort of the same uh, process where you just have to be really clear about what it is that you're doing verbally um, so that you're just on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you guys, um, maybe not now that you've been doing it for so long, but after your shows, do you like talk about your show? Like how, what was good? What was like maybe to work on or like... Yeah. When you're on Herald Night, you have a coach that is there to give you specific notes. Um, so we did that for for all three years. Um, and when we first started doing our Tuesday night show, we we kept our coach as well. And we don't we don't have one anymore. Um, but yeah, we will talk. Uh, we'll do like a quick little debrief. It's sometimes like. Yeah, if the show was not as good, sometimes we'll try to identify kind of what that was. And then before every show now, we we still, we've been doing this since the beginning, like do group goals where we're like, all right, at this show, I individually want to be really focused about the way that I'm playing game or I want to commit hard to my characters or I want to have a lot of fun and make a big choice, you know. Um, and sometimes those group goals will be in direct like opposition to something that wasn't working as well the week before. So mm. for like, I feel like I was being sloppy with my initiations last week, this week I want to be really clear about what idea I'm trying to present at the beginning of a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely some some sort of like uh, critical conversation happens around it still. Gotcha. And then yeah. your show specifically is So L.A., mm-hmm. uh, and that is your way of sort of getting... Um, premises and ideas and stuff um, which is you ask people about their IMDB page and whoever has something weird or different and you ask them and interview them yeah how did that get developed um yeah we we just sort of like were given in your in our last year on Herald Night we figured that we might start be starting to get to the point where we might get graduated and so we started to fill in here and again for like Facebook when they couldn't do their show and we just yeah we developed it's honestly it's basically the same form that Facebook does where they interview you about (laughs) a profile and uh, yeah it's not like the most groundbreaking premise by any means but it's a it's a world that we all have some experience in and think it it um, generates a lot of like very specific interesting details and Mm -hmm. so um, yeah I, I think it was just sort of like pitched around in a conversation and we landed on it and tried it a couple times and it worked well um yeah, we got like early on in our run, we got some really interesting ones where it was like, we got this woman who had, she's a producer now, but at the time of her, in, in like the mid to late 80s, was like a very, like kind of a Hollywood it girl for TV specifically, and was on like, she was this sort of like, um, yeah, this sort of like it guest star, and she was like Doogie Hauser's first on screen kiss, and like all of these like really oh, interesting wow. sort of like, Eight, she was on like Happy Days and all this like wild stuff. Just um, these bombs where you guys were like, yeah, yeah. We we're just like, this is unbelievable. And she was just this like really sweet, uh, you know, now middle aged woman kind of telling these like wild stories of like being a Hollywood actress in her like early twenties on all these major sitcoms. Um, oh man, I bet that yeah, was a great show. It was super fun. Yeah, um, yeah, it was great. How does it? Because uh, sometimes like the if the interview is like. Maybe the person doesn't have a ton of details to Mm -hmm. offer. Maybe they're, I don't know, you can tell when the interview gets like a little like awkward, you know, it's, it's, how do you get, I mean, is that something you guys talk about or are you just kind of like, well, let's just do with what we got? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a crapshoot. Like sometimes the the tone of the interview will just like offset the audience a little bit, which Mm -hmm. is, can be a struggle, like, 
Yeah, if they're just not connecting with the person that's on stage, sometimes it takes a couple of scenes to sort of like get them back. Um, and I think that's a thing that you just sort of learn to deal with the more you've been doing improv. Mm-hmm. Um, but more specifically, like from a scenic standpoint, like we will. Uh, yeah, you just get good at identifying when there's just a team language now of like, oh, this person did not generate that much information of like full comedy premises that are going to deliver us complete games or really clear initiations. And so you just the team knows that we're playing from a place of like slightly more half ideas. Right. Yeah. Or we are just going to need to build more. Just start <clears throat> with a detail and go from there. I mean, we could do no problem every single week, an hour long show off of one word. Right. And so yeah. it's. We don't, it's not like we need all that information up top, but, um, yeah. And so like, sometimes you'll come out and being like, well, this is just going to be a more organic based improv show, even though, you know, it's supposed to be supposed to be premise under the way that the, the, the setup of the interview is kind of, that's the type of comedy that we're, um, or the improv specifically that we're intending to do, but sometimes just based on the interview, it's going to end up being more organic. Um, Mm. yeah, but that's not like a that's not a conversation that gets had in the moment or like, it's not, we don't really like huddle up beforehand. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. um, yeah, you just sort of like learn how to deal with all of that. Um, yeah. When you've done thousands of shows at this point, yeah. um, I do wonder how many shows I have done with that. I was that just going to ask that. Yeah. Um, you've been, in st- uh, you've been doing improv for like 10 years, you said basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm so I'm just jealous. It's I wish I had that many it's years. It's tough. You can't and it's t- you can't fake that uh yeah, that yeah. experience, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that is I really remember like I took a class with Neil Casey, um who's like a great writer actor. He was the bad guy in Ghostbusters. Um the most I'd recent one. I have to one. look it up. Oh, yeah. the new one? Mhm. Oh. And he I remember him saying uh, he's like this improv adage is like all improvisers step in shit. The good ones know how to wipe it off their foot and keep walking. <laughs> the bad <laughs> ones get stuck. And like, oh, yeah. and I was like, yep, that's exactly what it is. It's just you, the more stage time that you have, you become less, you become more bulletproof to the idea of like, what does the audience want? And just being like, I don't care. I'm going to continue to just do my thing. Right. And like they can laugh if they want. And the audience really reacts to that confidence, right? Like they feel safe yeah. when you feel like they don't, you don't give a shit about what they think. Right? Yeah. Basically yeah. you're really like, funny. this is, I'm just doing, that's like my favorite part about watching you guys, like from, you know, doing my own improv, seeing other people's like not so great improv. Yeah. When you see great improv, you, like when somebody maybe steps out, like you had a guest not that long ago mm-hmm. that you interviewed and oh, then yeah. he did improv with you guys. Yeah. That was crazy because I was like, I don't know, like what's going to happen. Yeah. And he started making these choices that in like my experience, I would be like, you just shot the scene. Like, yeah. why did you do that? But then you guys are so, you know, you've done it for so long that you completely just use whatever he just threw out. And you're like, Nope, we're going to craft sure. the scene this way. And it's so, <laughs> it's just fascinating to watch. Like, then you feel like, oh, it doesn't matter if you step off the ledge because somebody's going to catch you. Absolutely. And the scene will work no matter yeah. what. And it's such a, I mean, so much of, of becoming an improviser, especially <clears throat> early on in your career, is getting comfortable with the idea of stepping off that ledge, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that you're, the, the the metaphor that I'll use a lot, like when I'm teaching or coaching, is like you need to just be comfortable jumping off of one lily pad without knowing where the next one is, right? right. And like, 
yeah, just be, be, be comfortable free falling. And then that's sort of where the magic happens. Right. And I think like that confidence to do that only comes from doing it all the time. Um, but like that is, yeah. And that's like, I, a big goal of mine early on was like, I want to be able to do improv with literally every single person, regardless of if they've ever done it before or Mm. how bad they are or how good they are and have a good show. Um, and it really used to frustrate me early on where I would do scenes. I'm like, that sucked because my partner was bad. Right, <laughs> like right, that right. is, that's like the wrong way to think about it, but also was the reality for a time. Like I was not good enough to be able to sustain a scene regardless of input from the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like eventually a couple of years ago, I did a show, an improv show for father's day with my dad who had never done improv in his entire oh, life. That was so fun. Yeah, yeah. Amazingly fun. And it was just like, here's a person who doesn't know what he's doing, but I am, I can see the matrix so much now that I can sort of just like push him along through it. And we're yeah, having yeah. a really successful show because of that. Yeah. So yeah, that was like a cool m- moment of like, I r- really sort of feeling like <laughs> genuine mastery of it in that moment right that's awesome um, that's impressive dude. how did your dad feel about it? like has he ever seen you perform he has seen me perform a couple of times um he loved it and the audience loved him my dad is also an insane very wacky human being and like <laughs> is very funny just kind of as is but obviously doesn't he's not a theater person right and right. so there's a lot of like a lot of the laughs that we were getting was like me handing him a bucket, bu- like a bucket of popcorn and him like, just like putting his hands like this and me being like, you dropped your popcorn. <laughs> just like <laughs> stupid little things like that. Or like we were in a, in the Staples center and he just like swiveled his chair to like turn next to me. And I was like, Oh wow. Staples Center got these new swivel chairs. This is so great. And so it's just like these little reality call outs that are How do like, you like stay in it. Like stay like you're in the Staples center now or whatever. Like, yeah. How do you stay in that? Cause I feel like that would be my biggest issue with, with improv is, like always forgetting that like wherever I am in the setting or something. Yeah. It's definitely like training your brain to think in a certain way. And also there's a lot of like, um, it is, does that bleed into real life? Uh, being open to sort of like changes. Do you mean, or like when you're just like, like, cause you, I feel like you have to have such a honed like way of thinking to be good at improv. Yeah. So like when you leave, are you still on or do you just like turn it off? I, I don't know. I'm not like one of a sort of like Robin Williams type where I was like, is crazy yeah, the yeah, whole yeah, time. Yeah. Like I think my onstage persona is pretty, not different necessarily, but much lower than my, or onstage is much higher than who I am in real life. Um, <laughs> but I think definitely like my comedy brain is kind of always working a little bit in the mm. way that not like I'm always sort of like searching for jokes, but you, yeah, that sort of like speed and that processing is something that I think I absolutely affects the way that I sort of like interpret um, yeah, information that goes into my mind. But um, a lot of improv is doing this, the sort of like, you know, rubbing your stomach and patting your head of like the duality of being committed and acting and sort of like existing in that environment while also secondarily keeping track of like details and patterns and, and this sort of more technical side of it. It's really that interaction between like your right brain and your left brain where, yeah, your, your right brain is in charge of the emotion and the, the sort of like pure creativity and your mm-hmm. left brain is there to like, yeah, keep the technique going and, and a lot of, yeah, becoming really good at it is learning to sort of like juggle those two things or lean on one more when you need one or uh, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It also <laughs> helps like just like as an actor being in a scene, as, as much as you can commit to the scene, it kind of... Uh, is less of something you have to think about because if you just go okay my body is now here go absolutely instead of like oh wait where am I again like what is it what's happening here like you're just like I'm this person this is what's going on 
listen, react, yeah. and then uh, when you stop thinking about what else is going on, you, it's easier to focus on Definitely. immediate. Like the present is very, it's like all you can do in improv is you have to be present yeah. kind of the whole time yep. or else you're out of it or yeah. you can screw something up. For sure. And the more that you do, the, that reaction process becomes very quick too, just like dropping into the who, what, where, like the, all that stuff happens kind of like instantly now as opposed to when I started, it was like, who am I? What am I doing? Who, you know, like, what's my relationship to this person? All of that becomes so, such muscle memory and so, mm. like, instantaneous um, <clears throat> that, yeah, it, it doesn't require any energy on my part now to get that portion of the scene moving. Um, yeah. Which is just kind of, like, an interesting, it, yeah, the whole thing is a really interesting kind of uh, examination and, like, yeah, what what it ta- what the process of like yeah becoming in complete control of a <laughs> of a thing uh, mm. is, and not to say that like every single scene or every show that I do is going to be amazing and great, but like if you look at the 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 like point graph of my worst shows now are ten times better than my best shows used to be four years ago, right? Mm. And that's just sort of the way that it's going to go. Yeah, um, if yeah. you keep doing it, yeah. Do you think you can ever, like, lose, like, have you ever noticed, like, you take a break and you get rusty and you got to get back to it? Yeah, I, I think, like, you do lose th- that reaction process is is very much a product of doing it a couple times a week still. And I think, like, you'll see people like Amy Poehler, for example, who are, like, is still so good now. But also is, like, it's just different. Like, she's not doing improv five times a week anymore, right? right. And so I think, like, but she's a true great comedy talent did, and did mind. Did the um, originals perform at the... Do they perform at yeah. that festival? Yeah, they perform pretty much every year at that festival, oh, okay. which is really cool. Um, I bet that's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw her doing Ask Cat a couple of years ago. It's just like, she's just really, truly still amazing. But I bet for her, it definitely feels different because she's right. not doing it with the same... Yeah, that same sort of... I, I, a funny thing does happen, though, where it's like... <laughs> the, the more... Uh, you'll see like the more famous improvisers too will get, even if they're not in as quite like good improv shape as they used to be, the audience, because they're famous, is laughing at them more generously. And so there's this weird thing where like mm. they almost don't come off as being rusty because the audience is so willing to give them anything and everything. Right. The same thing um, with stand-up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Saw Tim Allen once. Didn't go well. Totally. Yeah. Did he, but was the audience like... Oh, dude. They you were would, loving it? You would it? think he was killing it, but I 100%, know. 100%, yeah. I know, sitting back there, I was like, this isn't funny. It's oh, very weird yeah. where it's like the feedback loop gets sort of like polluted by success a little bit. <laughs> And I think yeah. that's why you'll get people like, yeah, who have been doing, and that happens at every level. Like you, you become sort of like unaware of what the actual cr- constructive criticism of your work is. And as a result, your work suffers, but you're like, what do you mean that was bad? Everyone along the way told me it was good. The audience <laughs> you know? is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's I imagine it's very hard to keep that barometer. That's why you'll get people like Adam Sandler who will make movies about like I'm a comedian who's too successful and now doesn't know what's funny anymore. Like that movie, That's Funny People. Reality. Yeah, and that is the reality. I'm sure. I love, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last question, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, do you think that you'll do improv forever, or is it going to be one of those things where like once you're famous, which is probably bound to happen? I hope so. You are. It's bound to happen. We're backing you. Yeah, great. He's trying to say. So when? So like, you know, will you always do improv, or do you think that you'll eventually just one day it'll be like one of those things you look back on and just like, yeah, that was that was like great times, you know? But yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I like. Quick answer. I think I will always do it in some capacity. I don't know how. You know, ideally, my career goes to a point where I don't have time to do it necessarily as much. Although that's not even true. But I think, like, 
also there's a natural progression that happens. Like as you get older, your the priorities and the like the drive to go to an 11 p.m. show every single week is going to diminish as I get older and yeah. am working more, obviously. But it is like it's a funny thing where improv <clears throat> has really given me the opportunities to be able to work in this industry and so it's like it has been my launch pad in so many ways Mm -hmm. but now that I am there and able to sort of work at it it's just a purely creative outlet for me but that is something that I don't think I'll ever lose the need for like I will always want to be able to improvise because it's my favorite hobby and it's the most fun thing in the world to me and like it does happen to feed and be influenced in the work that I do but it's like but even if that weren't the case I think like I I would still do it just for fun Um, and yeah who knows like where my life is going to go from here on out Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll hit a point where I don't feel like I need that outlet necessarily I think Amy is, is another interesting example where it's like yeah she only probably does a show every six or eight months maybe I don't know depending on how hard she's working but I bet when she does sit in it's like a really nice I'm sure she loves it, right? And I can't, at this point, imagine losing that. Um, or you'll see people like Thomas Middleditch still does all, tons of improv. Or Ben Schwartz. Like, those guys are mm. very successful and working nonstop, but they still find time to really do it. Because it's the thing that got them to where they are and also just the thing that they what love team most in the world. Thomas Middleditch on? He's on, he does a lot of, like, improvised Shakespeare, which is not at um, oh, okay. UCB. It's a Chicago group. They perform at Largo. Uh, but he... Middle Ditch does like they do a two prop Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Um, They're both on Silicon Valley, ye- right? Or- Middle Ditch is yeah, yeah but yeah, Zach yeah. Woods also does. That's who I'm thinking. Yes, like yeah. that, he does ASCAT. Love, Zach Woods is too. a great example. He's yeah. he works nonstop and he is at ASCAT all the time. Like yeah. he truly yeah. probably still does two improv shows a week. Like that's yeah. crazy, you know. It's but it's because he's. Yeah, that guy's an absolute monster, and yeah, like yeah. he's that's <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. There are a lot of. I've been watching a lot of these like comedy documentaries recently, like the Gary Shandling one on HBO. Um, That shit made me cry. Totally. Yeah. It's really powerful, but it's so interesting to watch him talk about like, you know, the, that stand up is for him. Like that's the, that's, he's like, that's why God put me on this earth. And I think like every improviser feels some of that to a certain degree. You're like, this just makes me feel so connected to everything in a way Mm -hmm. that is really, satisfying to me and like you know gives me yeah great sort of like purpose a little bit and so I think like I'm sure that yeah the degree of that changes at different places in your life but I think at this point I would say that I'll always have some of that right um Mm -hmm. and who knows it's like it's it's hard to believe that you wouldn't go back to it because you have I assume done it for before so long for free and yeah just because you just do it because you love it absolutely so it doesn't make yeah it would stay there forever it's always in your heart I'm not interested yeah for sure I'm not interested (laughs) in making a dollar doing it that is never why I would I didn't start to do that and it's never why I would do it Um, yeah but it is for somebody who is interested in like getting into the comedy world of you know all the other things that come from doing improv it's very like nice to see somebody who you know, started there and now there all these opportunities are totally presenting themselves. You just, you just got to stick with it, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. I, we've never done this, but I just feel the need to like ask, like if you were to give like somebody advice, maybe they were trying to do this. Is there something maybe you feel the need to let them know? Yeah. Maybe it's your former self. Maybe it's somebody just getting into improv. Yeah. I would say the thing that I think a lot about, is the people that are the most successful broadly in this industry are the ones that are 
very process driven as opposed to goals driven, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not to say that you can't be like, I want to be in a movie one day or I want to write on a TV show. That's great to have that. But you can't, that can't be the thing that you're working for all the time, right? You've got to be working because you love the process of the work. You love getting on stage every night, getting, yeah, writing constantly, whatever your medium is, like you have to have a real love for that grind um, regardless of the validation that you are receiving, not necessarily regardless of the validation, but like regardless of sort of external forces of like, yeah, getting paid or all that business, like that will come in time, but that never, that, that is a direct result of, of loving the work itself. And so I think like sometimes I'll, I have to even like remind myself, like keep, you have to sort of keep, keep perspective on that. Right. And I think like, yeah, that's part of the reason why I still <laughs> go to an improv show every single week. Cause it's just like the, that work that, which is not really work, but that's something that I just, I love to continue refining myself as a comedian for my own sake, not mm-hmm. necessarily for anybody else's. Right. Um, and I think that's really validating and really fulfilling. And, um, that's a hard thing to fake too. So I, I, that's sort of a note given with a grain of salt, but if you're like, I like this. I really like getting up every day and writing stand up or doing whatever you do. Then like, yeah, just keep at it. And like opportunities will come your way by virtue of time and care and effort. Um, yeah. And secondarily, be a good person that doesn't do shitty things to people because that will come back to you. Um, and especially in this transparent sort of era. Yeah, for sure. And like even, and I, I, you should never like do that in the, in, in the, like, don't be a good person in the interest of like avoiding bad things coming your way. Be a good person because like that's like when uh like when like religious people are like you know what I'm gonna you know I go to church because I drink or like yeah or, you're like, trying you to know like what? counteract I'm just gonna, a bad totally, thing. yeah I'm like go to thing. church just so like any if I do do anything fucked up I'm good yeah <laughs> you know? yeah really no bad. exactly but do it for the right reasons because also the people around you are gonna be are moving forward and like it's so fun to be at a point now with like the white women guys, for example, like I met those guys six years ago when I met Lamar on, on Hollywood Boulevard when he was like driving his busted ass Monte Carlo. And now like, <laughs> no, we get to do all kinds of shit together. And it's like, it's so fun. Um, and yeah, I just like, it's, it's great to be there with your friends. Um, I was thinking about this too, like a, a, a career goal of mine. Another one is like, I love how all, in all those Apatow movies, it's like, that's just his friends I and they're know. making fucking movies. Oh and it's just God. like, that's the improv community, but on like a multi-million dollar level. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a, yeah. that is, I just want to be there with my friends <laughs> making stuff that we like to make and hopefully people connect to it. That's, um, the, that's my dream Yeah, in the comedy world because a lot of comedy does work when everybody is uh, working together yeah. for something that they all have fun with. And it just get the product comes out of that. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. I feel like more like studios now are like giving people rain, like saying, "Hey, just do your thing." We, I don't want to like mess it up. Like with Atlanta, yeah. Um, they just like told Donald Glover, like, "Yeah, go for it. Do whatever you want." And it's amazing. and it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of like there was something else that I was watching the other day where they were just like, um, "Fuck, I forgot what it was." But the guy was saying like, "Yeah, they just let us do whatever we want." And that was, we said, hey, we want to do this now. And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Well, I think, I think you it was have Netflix. to earn your right a little bit for before they just like give you the reins. But yeah. yeah. I, but I like that more people are open to that now because I feel like before Absolutely. it wasn't mm. like that. It yeah. was always, there was always some exec that had his finger in it saying, no, change it, do this, do for this. For sure. You know? Yeah. And that's always it, a battle between the sort of like business side of the industry because it is like it if is every business. comedy writer had their way, they would do the most niche <laughs> like nonsense, you know, 
garbage, uh, you know, frankly, garbage. Like, I'm that the only be, one who's ever seen this, and I'm doing a whole show. And about it's it, only and comedians like, that find it funny. Yeah, like, yeah. 100%. So there's got to be. I think those checks and balances do exist for uh, the right reasons. Most of the time, it gets problematic when they like you get too many creative notes from non-creative people. But you're right. I think more and more <laughs> people are like. Let's let's trust the process of these artists and see. Mm-hmm. Really, that's how the, the greatest art gets made. Um, yeah, 100%. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, any All other right. questions or anything that you get you want to throw that's our it. That way? That was great. Yeah. I love the positive vibes, man. Cool. Yeah. Check out IP Bio. It's all on Hulu. Oh yeah. If yeah. you want to plug uh, anything else besides that, that's it. That. <laughs> oh, well, nice. Yeah. Cardinal Redbird. Every Cardinal Tuesday. Redbird. Yeah. At eleven. Tuesday at eleven. Frankly. Oh, yep. That's great. All right. Uh, thank cool. you so thank much you for being on the podcast. This is the Have a Seat podcast with Betsy Hayes and Anthony Pacheco. Uh, Thanks for saying my name again. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're out. Bye.